والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وذروا ظاهر الإثم بباتنا سبحان ربك رب العزة أما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صلي على سيرنا محمد وعلى آل سيرنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صلي على سيرنا محمد وَعَلَىٰ آلِ سِرْنَا مُحَمَّدْ وَبَارِكُ وَسَلَمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands in the Qur'an al-Kareem وَذَرُوا ظَاهِرَ الْإِثْمِ وَبَاطِنَا And leave the commission, stop doing all the sins that you do openly or secretly. Externally or internally, it means Allah wants us to leave all the sins that we do. Now what is the definition of ithm, of dhamb, of sin? Sin in Islam means to break the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to go against His rules, or to break the sunnah of the beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah commands us in Qur'an to leave all the sins that we do. The reason we don't leave our sin is because we don't realize the enormity of our sin. So let us illustrate this from a few examples. If there is an electricity wire that says 1000 volts on it, well, the child would not go anywhere near the electricity wire for fear of getting an electric shock. Just like that, the true believer will not go anywhere near a sin for the fear of getting the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Until we view our sins like that, it will be very difficult for us to leave them. The other example that our Mashaikh gave, that in the beginning when a person commits a sin, it is just like a fragile thread. It's easy to snap. But if you do sin over and over and over again, it goes from being a fragile thread to a strong anchor to a steel anchor that it weighs you down. So we must be people who leave all of our sins. The likeness of sin is like a cancerous part of the body. If a person gets cancer in one part, the doctors will tell him, you must take chemotherapy, you must take medicine, you must do something to rid yourself of that cancerous part. Just like that, we must do things to rid ourselves of our sin. Because that person who does not rid himself of his cancer, then the cancer spreads over his entire body and makes him die a physical death. Similarly, that person who does not rid himself of sin, his sins will take over his entire body and make him die a spiritual death. Hafiz ibn Qayyum rahimahullah wrote, that, oh my friend, do not look at how small the sin is or how great the sin that you do but reflect instead on the greatness and the majesty of that being against whom you are sinning. So we should not take even the slightest of sins as trivial. We should not even underestimate the power of any sin. Imam Atab bin Abi Rabah rahimahullah, who is the teacher of Imam Munifa rahimahullah, he once said, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will address his believers on the day of judgment and say, O oh my servant, when you wish to commit any sin, you close all the windows, you drew the curtains, you closed the door, you locked the door, you closed all the doors from which creation could see, but you could not close the door through which I could see. Oh my servant, am I less in your eyes than all of your creation? You minded, you did not want anybody to know about your sin, anybody to see you committing sin, anybody to be there when you did sin, but did you not care that I was watching you? Did you not care that I knew that you would do your sin? Did you not realize that I was with you in that room? Oh my servant, am I less in your eyes than the creation? So what if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses us in this manner? 
It means that we must be people who leave the sins that we do. And know that this is the very important first step. If we do not leave our sin, then our ibadah, our dhikr, our muraqabah, our tasbih will not be a benefit to us. The way the mashaykh explain it is like sin is like garbage. And the ibadah we do is like itar. So imagine if a person is sitting in the middle or standing in the middle of a garbage dump. If you're standing in the middle of a garbage dump, even if you put a whole bottle of atar on top, a bottle of scent or fragrance on top of you, it will have no effect. So that person who continues to make sin, then what is there for us to talk to him about dhikr? But if he takes himself out of sin, that person who takes himself out of the garbage dump, he does not need an entire bottle, he just needs a few drops of that itar and he will become fragrant. So it means, my friends, that we must leave all of our sins. We must repent from all of our sins. And the strange thing is not that as Muslims that we sin, it's that we do not hasten in making tawbah. So know first that everything in life has an effect. It's a principle of science. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. The effect of fire is warm. The effect of ice is cold. Each and every sin that we do, that each and every sin that we do, there will be an effect of that sin. There will be some recompense, some consequence of doing that sin. The consequence of our sins in this world is that Allah makes us worried. He gives us anxieties. Every time we commit a sin, Allah fills our life with some worry or another. Just imagine if you see a buffet system of food and they have these small little burners to keep the food hot. Just like that, when the person sins, Allah Taala lights a small flame of worry in his life. Sometimes that worry, it comes from his wife. Sometimes it comes from his children. Sometimes it comes from his health. Sometimes it comes from his business place. Every time a person does sin, he will be faced with the consequence of his sin in this life. And it's not possible to do sin and be unaffected by it. This is why a great shaykh, Shaykh Masihullah rahimahullah, used to tell his students that if you wish to commit sin, then go ahead, do whatever sin you want, but know that however much sins you do, your life will become what we call in English a living hell. The more and more sins you do, the more and more your life in this world will become like Jahannam. So if we wish to do sin, we should know that we are just going to make our life a living hell. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish us even in this world. He will give us some worry, some difficulty, some test. He will lead us into depression. We will be miserable if we lead a life of sin. And that is why the Quran and the Sunnah came down. This is why Allah described Himself. What does He do? He takes the believers out. That He takes them out from the darkness of their sins into the nur of iman, into the nur of taqwa, into the nur of ibadah. So it means that we also must wish to take ourselves out of the darkness of sin. So the solution to this is to make tawbah, is to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to repent to us. And not to delay. The tragedy is that today a person does a sin, but he delays in his tawbah. He thinks, I will make tawbah later. Or even worse, he thinks, let me do that sin one last time. Let me do that sin one more time. So know that a sin is like a snowball that comes down in an avalanche. As you let it grow, it gains momentum, it gains size, it becomes so big that it will be too big for you to leave. And that is the condition of our sins. 
that the more and more we do them, the harder and harder it becomes for us to leave them. The Mufassirin write that Iblis, he did five things, shaitan. He did five things that made Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala angry with him. And we should check if we have any of those five things inside of us. After he sinned, after he disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command, and we've already said that the sin means to disobey Allah's command. So when he disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's command, what did he do? Number one, he didn't admit his sin, what we call in Arabic iqrar. He did not admit, he did not testify, he did not acknowledge that he committed a sin. So this was the first mistake that shaitan made, is that he did not admit that he did sin. The second thing that he did, is that he was not nadim, he was not remorseful, he did not regret his action. In fact, instead he presented his logic. He tried to justify his action. He said, Ana khayrum, that I am better than Adam al-Islam. Oh Allah, you have made him from earth and you have made me from fire. So he tried to make excuses for himself. He tried to justify his sin. So the first mistake, he didn't admit his sin. Second mistake, he was not remorseful, he did not regret, he did not feel sad, but rather he tried to justify his sin. The third mistake is that he did not reprimand himself. He did not say that, oh Iblis, what a bad thing you have done. He did not scold himself, he did not take himself to task. The fourth thing is that he did not make istighfar, he did not ask Allah to forgive him, and he did not repent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fifth thing the Mufassirin write is that he despaired of the mercy of Allah. So we should now look at ourselves. Whenever we make a sin, do we have any of these five characteristics? Are we people who deny that we are doing sin, or do we admit our sins? Are we people who acknowledge and then feel remorse and regret and sad? Or do we try to make excuses, try to justify it, try to say the boss won't let me do it, the wife won't let me do it, society won't let me do it. Do we try to come up for reasons to validate our sin? Are we people, do we take ourselves to task? Do we get upset with ourselves when we sin? This is the way of our pious elders that if they committed some sin, they would punish themselves. They would not let themselves drink cold water for a day. They would say, you're not allowed, they would address themselves and say, oh myself, I will not let you eat a meal until you repent for your sins. They would take themselves to task. Do we take ourselves to task when we commit sin? Number four, do we make istighfar and tawbah? Do we sincerely turn to Allah in forgiveness and tawbah immediately after doing the sin? And number five, do we fall into this problem that we despair of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So we can see from these five things how much like Iblis, how much like shaitan that we are. In contrast, oh, and, and think about that, that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did, is that in punishment for these five things, Iblis became what we call in Arabic, Mardud, he was cast out of the presence of Allah forever. It's not simply that he was cast out of Jannah. He was cast out from the presence of Allah forever. He will never have the pleasure of Allah forever. So it means if we do these five things, we should be worried that we too may fall in his footsteps. What will happen to us if Allah casts us off? If Allah throws us away, if Allah decrees that we will never have His pleasure, then what else is there in this universe that this universe has to offer? In contrast, the Prophet Adam he was the complete opposite. When he made a mistake, he made a forgetful mistake in Jannah. All of you know. What did he do? How did he respond? How did he react when he made that mistake, when he forgot something? So the first thing he did, he admitted that he committed a sin, he did ikrar. Number two, he felt bad. He had nadama, he had remorse, he had regret. 
The third thing, he reprimanded himself. He said, Rabbana zalamna anfusana. He, how did he describe that sin? He said, Oh my Lord, I have wronged myself. I have wronged my soul. I have oppressed myself. So he took himself to task. He said, Zalamna anfusana. But truly Allah, I have wronged myself. And then he made istighfar. He did tawbah. He asked Allah SWT to forgive him. And he did not despair of the mercy of Allah. But he acknowledged that, Oh Allah, if you do not forgive me, but in lam wa if you do not send your forgiveness upon me, if you do not send your mercy upon me, then I will be amongst the lost ones. That we will be amongst the lost ones. So he did exactly the opposite from shaitan. So now we can think we have two examples for us in the Quran from the beginning of time. If you commit a sin, if you make a mistake, if you become forgetful, whose sunnah do you wish to follow? Do you wish to follow the sunnah of shaitan or do you wish to follow the, shay- the sunnah of Sayyidina Adam salam? The choice is open for each and every one of us. But if a person does a sin and repents, this is the beauty, that if a person repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, does these things, admits, testifies, feels remorse, repents, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept his repentance and even change his bad deeds into good deeds. This is the rahmah, the mercy, the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There was a famous shaykh, Shaykh Fuzail bin Ayaz, rahimahullah. He says about his own life, this is a famous shaykh, but he says about his own life that whenever I sinned against Allah, whenever I left his command, whenever I failed to obey him, I found in my own life that somebody disobeyed me. Either my wife disobeyed me, my son disobeyed me, my employee, my worker, he disobeyed me. And then he writes, or at the very least, the horse that I used to ride would disobey my signals. The mount, the steed, the animal that I ride, Allah SWT would make that animal disobey me. Something or another, if I ever disobeyed Allah SWT, Allah would make some member of creation disobey me. It means that if we disobey Allah SWT, we are just earning the problems of this world. The son will not listen to the father. The son will spit in the father's face. The son will say, who are you to take me to task? So what if I do what I want to do? Your wife may not listen to you. The husband might not listen to the wife who sins. Your workers, your colleagues might not listen to you. So if we wish, and everybody wishes, that the people around us, the people underneath us, our children, our employees, we wish for them to listen to us, so should we not think that we also must listen and obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Every time a person sins, he will be full of worries. Why? Because when he sins, he has to hide his sin. He has to lie to cover up his sin. He has to conceal his sin. He tries to wipe away the tracks of sin. And every time he does that, his heart just gets sadder and sadder. He tells a lie to cover up his sin, he feels even worse. He sometimes even swears a false promise. This is the condition of the Muslims. That they even take the name of Allah and swear I didn't do it, even though they did that sin. That's how low doing a sin makes us fall. That we're so needy of covering that up, that we'll even take the name of Allah in vain, we'll even swear falsely to cover up our sin. This shows you that sin pushes the believer into a deep and dark abyss, that only the rope of tawbah, if he grabs on it, if he climbs on it, can take him out. So know this, that a person is worried, is tested in his life for two reasons. If ever you feel some worry, some anxiety in your life, you have a tough time, 
you feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent some difficulty your way, there are always one of two reasons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this difficulty upon you. The first is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this as a punishment for your sins. Well, rather we should say that the first is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this as a test to see how pious you were and to draw you closer to Him. And the second way is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends this worry upon you as a punishment for your sins. Now how can you tell? What is the criteria of telling whether this problem that you have is a test from Allah, that Allah is using this, shaking you up to draw you closer to Him, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent you this punishment, uh, this test, this, this worry, this affliction as a punishment for your sins. So this is our mashayikh, our shayukh, our elders, our scholars. They've explained these things for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them the greatest of rewards. So they say that there are three things to look at. That if you have some difficulty in your life, and that difficulty comes with zilla. In other words, not only are you worried in life, not only do you have some problem, but you are disgraced in front of others. That you get some disgrace, that that worry, that musibah, that difficulty comes with zilla, it comes with disgrace. It means that Allah sent that worry upon you to punish you for your sins. Number two, that if when you become have that difficult time in life, when you have that test, if you fall into depression, if you fall into sadness, if your heart becomes depressed and sad, it means Allah sent that worry, that difficulty in your life as a punishment for our sins. And number three, if when we have that worry, we have that difficulty and we leave our a'mal, we leave our good deeds, we leave our ibadah, we stop coming to the masjid, we eat, even maybe sleep through fajr because all night we were awake in tension and depression. We sleep through fajr, we miss our ibadat, we stop making dua to Allah. It's a sign that Allah SWT sent that worry, sent that difficulty in your life as a punishment for your sins. And this is why Allah SWT says in Quran, مَا أَصَابَكُمْ مِنْ مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ That there is not a single musibah, a single worry that reaches you, except that you have earned it with your own hands. So the definition of musibah is that worry in which you are disgraced, in which you may be depressed, in which makes you leave the good actions, the good ibadat, the worship that you were doing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when is a test from Allah? When Allah ta'ala gives you some difficulty, because He wants to draw you closer to Him, there are also some signs. So the first, And they're opposite to the other signs. So the first sign is that there will be no zilla, there will be no disgrace. But if anything else, your hope will increase in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You won't feel depressed, but your hope will increase. Your a'mal won't go down, but they will go up. You will turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have ruju' in Allah, inabat in Allah. That if some difficulty comes to you, you know that there is only one being who can ease your worries. There is only one being who can remove your difficulty. You will immediately turn to that being. You will increase in your salah. You will increase in your dua. You will increase in your reading of Quran. You will increase in your dhikr. You will ask others to make dua for you. You will put everything on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to do that to draw you closer. Because He knew that if you remain happy, maybe you won't increase in your worship. But He knows this servant of mine. Truly this servant depends on me. This servant believes in me. So if I sense some difficulty in his life, he will just turn to me even more so I can give him even more reward. Or if he has sabr, if he is patient in this time of difficulty, then in exchange for his sabr, I can even reward him even more. So when Allah wants to reward his servants, 
sometimes he sends them a test or a difficulty so they increase in their ibadah and he can reward them for their patience. And the sign and this difficulties used to come on the prophets. They come on the most pious of Muslims. But the difference is that their heart remains happy. Their heart is in peace and contentment because they are people of dhikr, people of remembrance. Allah that in the remembrance of Allah the hearts find peace and contentment. So the way our Mashaikh described it is if somebody is sitting in a glass house and around him is an entire storm, a hurricane, or tornado going on, but he's sitting in the glass house in peace. Just like that, the pious person, no matter what difficulty, what hardship Allah may send him, his heart is in that glass house, his heart is totally in peace and contentment, he is happy with his Lord. He says, Oh Allah, I'm happy with you however you keep me. If you choose to give me happiness, I'm happy with you. If you give me sadness, I'm happy with you. If you give me wealth, I'm happy with you. If you give me a tough time, I'm happy with you. Allah, my job in this world is just to be happy with you. Ya Allah, I am pleased with you as my Lord. I am pleased with Islam as my deen. I am pleased with Muhammad and Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wasallam as my Nabi and as my Rasul. So this is a sign then for us to check that if we have any worry in our life, any difficulty in our life, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala send us, send that worry as a test to draw us closer or as a punishment for our sins. Now some people misunderstand. They look and they want to see the consequences of their sin. So they think that, well look, I'm sinning and nothing's happened to me. You're saying that every sin carries a consequence and I know in my life I did so many sins and I didn't see any consequence. So know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two other ways in which He will uh, punish us for our sins. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not always immediately punish us for our sins. He does ta'khir, He delays, He postpones sending the consequence of our sins in this world. Now why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do this? In other words, if a person does a sin today, he's not going to see the consequence tonight. But rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delays the consequence of that sin. This is part of the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the meaning of a sifa that he is halim. Halim means, learn today what some of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mean. Halim means that that being who has the power to do something, but he holds himself back. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the kudra, the power, the might, the majesty, the ability to punish us for our sins immediately. But it is because he's al-halim, he holds back. He postpones punishing us. He gives us time that maybe my servant may make tawbah. Maybe my servant will repent to me. Otherwise it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's right that the second we misused our eyes to take away our sight. It was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's right that the second we used our feet to take us to some place of sin, He should have crippled us right there at the moment. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-halim, al-kareem. He withholds His punishment he gives us a stay, a period, a delay. He wants to give us the opportunity to turn to Him in repentance. So if you fool yourself and think that, look, I'm doing these sins and Allah Ta'ala has not sent the consequence on me immediately. This is actually the rahmah of Allah that He postpones punishing us for our sins to hope in His, in, in his in, that He wants us to yearn towards Him and He wants us to repent unto Him. But, when a person falls into so much sin, when he drowns himself into sin, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not hold back his punishment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, Bala, man kasabat sayyi'atan wa ahatat bihi khati'atuhu That know verily that that person who commits the sin, 
and the sin and his mistakes, his khati'ah, his wrongdoing surround him. He becomes enveloped in sin. He becomes in dra- he starts to drown in sin. Allah SWT says, فَأُولَٰئِكَ أَصْحَابُ النَّارِ That such people will become the people of hellfire, whom fiha khaladun. That they will enter it and they will dwell in there forever. So if you let yourself fall that deep into sin, then know that you have earned for yourself the hellfire. The second thing, In fact, sometimes this happens to a person that he thinks that he thinks that that all of a sudden he finds some difficulty in his life, and maybe he sees these signs that he's getting depressed, he's getting disgraced. But he thinks that what is the sin that I've done that Allah Taala is punishing me? I don't remember doing anything, so it means Allah Taala may even be punishing us for something we did years ago. Once there was a man and he said this. He said, "Make dua for me." I don't know what sin I've done. Allah has made my life so difficult. And we told them, that don't think it's some sin that you did today. Reflect back on your youth. Reflect on all the sins you may have done as a young man. And ask yourself today, did you truly make tawbah? Did you truly repent from all those things you did as a young man? And he said, no, there are some sins that I probably never made tawbah of. So it means that if you make a sin as a young man, maybe Allah will punish you in old age. If you mistreat your wife, or you were not loyal to her as a young man, when you grow old and you need her service, you need her help, you need her to take care of you, maybe Allah will make her disobedient to you. Maybe Allah will take that love for you out of her heart. So it means that the sins that we commit today, they may haunt us today, they may haunt us tomorrow, they may haunt us ten years from now, but we should never think, that a sin will not have effect. Allah SWT said in Quran, مَنْ يَعْمَلْ سُوءًا يُجْزَبِهِ That whoever does a sin, he will have to face the consequence, the terrible consequences of his sin. The second thing, we mentioned two other ways of punishing. The first is Allah delays the consequence because He is Halim, He gives us a chance to repent. And the second is Allah SWT sometime he doesn't give us the consequence of our sins because he is so upset with us. That Allah is so upset with us, we call this his tadbir. That he wants us to continue in sin. Let him enjoy. Let him continue in sin. Let him sin tremendously. So on the day of judgment, I can also give him a tremendous punishment. This also comes in Quran. Listen to this verse of Quran, Azimushan, and think when will our hearts wake up. When will our hearts begin to quake and shiver with the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, فَلَمَّا نَسُوا مَا ذُكِّرُوا بِي When they began to forget the nasiha, the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught them, then what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? فَتَحْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ أَبْوَابَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ That Allah ta'ala opened up for them the doors to everything. In other words, Allah opened up the doors for all the sins to them. Let them commit all the sins that they want. They forgot our nasiha, they forgot our commands, they forgot the deen. Let them do all the sins. Allah opened up the doors for them. Do not punish them in this world. Allah opened up the doors of sin for them. Hatta idha farihu. Until they became happy. Until they became overjoyed in tasting these worldly pleasures. Until they lost themselves in committing sin. Bima'utu. They became happy with that which we gave them. And then, what happened? حَتَّ أَخَذْنَاهُمْ بَغْلَةً فَإِذَا هُمْ مُبْلِسُونَ 
ahaznahum baghdatan that we did our akhas on them uh, uh, suddenly rapidly so we should think that ya allah is this my case that i'm sinning against you but i'm still drowning in your nemas that you haven't given me any consequence in this world we should fear that oh allah let me not be amongst these people who I have sinned against you and you have opened up for me the doors of sin, you are just letting me continue in sin and one day, that you will do this with me, you will grab me suddenly. You will punish me suddenly. And know that the akhaz of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, means the punishment, the terrible grip of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alim and shadeed, is painful, is pain giving, is extremely painful. So it means we should think that even if we are doing sins, there is a story in hadith about somebody from the Bani Israel. That he was an Abid, a person who worshipped from the Bani Israel, and he was committing a major sin. So one, but he saw that I'm doing this sin, and my life is continuing as normal, <coughs> that I'm still drowning in the blessings of Allah. So he actually made dua to Allah. It's ajeeb, it's a very strange thing. He made dua to Allah and said, Oh Allah, you are so kareem, you are so kind, that I sin against you, and still you haven't taken away your ni'mas, your blessings from me. So immediately a voice answered him, that, Oh my slave, we have taken away so many blessings from you, and you don't even know. And he said, Oh Allah, what? I still have everything that I've always had. And then Allah inspired him, and a voice told him, that do you still have the pleasure of your ibadah? From the day you started sinning, we took away the pleasure of ibadah. You no longer feel pleasure in your dua, in your worship. So think how many of us have had already had this punishment in our life. That we feel no pleasure in our ibadah, we feel no pleasure in our salah, we feel no pleasure in our dua. In fact, we don't even view this as being devoid as a blessing. So Allah Ta'ala has made us mahroom, Allah Ta'ala has deprived of us these blessings, and we don't even feel that we are deprived. We don't even have ahsas, we don't even sense, we don't even feel this void, this gap, this thing missing in our life. So this can also be a punishment from Allah. That He takes away the pleasure of worship, He takes away the opportunity of worship, He takes away the tawfiq, the ability, the success to perform more and more worship from our hearts. So it means, my friends, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always give us the consequence from our sin. If He delays it, maybe He delays it. And if we feel that we still haven't got anything, and we're still drowning in His bounties, and we should be worried, we're of the second category, where Allah has opened up for us the doors of sin, so that one day He can inflict upon us a terrible punishment. So is it not better that we repent from our sins? Is it not better that we make istighfar, ask Allah to forgive us? Is it not better that we save ourselves from this whole process? Once a shaykh, once a student came up to Shaykh Hassan al-Basri and he said to him, a young man came up to his Shaykh and he said that, oh Shaykh, I have this problem that I am involved in sin. And I want you to tell me some way that I can somehow keep the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but also keep doing this sin. So if anybody came to us, we would just give him one slap and send him on his way and say that's the stupidest thing you've ever heard. That you want to keep sinning and you want Allah to stay pleased with you? But these mashayikh, these shiyukh, they were so gentle, they were so soft, they knew how to work on the hearts of people. So that shaykh said that, oh young man, I can give you many suggestions. 
So that young man became happy. He thought that this is my kind of sheikh. That I found my kind of sheikh today, that he's going to tell me how I can keep sinning and still earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the sheikh said that, young man, all you have to do is next time you want to commit that sin, just go to some place where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can't see you and then you won't have a problem. He said, oh sheikh, there is no place on earth where I can go where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can't see me, so how can I get out of it this way? He said, no problem, I'll give you another solution. He said that it is very rude to disobey a king in his kingdom. That when you're in the kingdom of a ruler, you should follow his rules. So if you wish to disobey Allah's rules, then simply every time you want to sin, leave his kingdom, do that sin, and on the day of judgment when Allah asks you, you can say, oh my, oh king of kings, I did not disobey you in your kingdom. The young man said, oh sheikh, the entire earth, the skies, the universe, the whole world is the kingdom of Allah. How can I leave the kingdom of Allah? The sheikh said, okay, no problem. I'll give you another suggestion. It is very rude to eat the food that somebody gives you, to live off the things that somebody gives you and disobey them. So if you wish to disobey Allah, simply stop eating the risk, the sustenance, the nourishment that Allah gives you. And on the day of judgment, when Allah asks you, why did you sin? Say, oh Allah, neither did I take anything from you, neither did I obey you. He said, oh Shaykh, all risk is from Allah. All food, all drink comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I take away my risk, then how will I survive? Shaykh said, okay, I'll give you one more suggestion. Then when you go into the grave, and these angels, Munkar and Nakir, come and enter your grave, and they wish to question you, and they might start your punishment in the grave, simply say to them that Munkar and Nakir, get out. Leave my grave. Who gave you permission to enter my grave? No admission without permission. Right of admission, reserved. He said, Shaykh, I'll be in the grave, five feet, ten feet underground. How will I be able to tell Munkar and Nakir to leave? He said, oh young man, I'll give you another suggestion. That on the day of judgment, when you stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and all your sins are taken to account, and Allah sees that you persisted in sin, and He commands the angel to take you to hell, simply stand there and say, I refuse to go. Say, just tell the angels who come to drag you to hell, that what are you doing? Where are you taking me? I don't want to go. He said, Shaykh, on that day of judgment, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who am I? What position do I have? I'm nothing before Allah. Now the shaykh knew, as we say, the iron was hot. It was ready for the blow. He said, young man, if you feel that you are nothing before Allah, then why do you not realize that in this world you are also nothing before Him and leave your sins? And he said, shaykh, yes, now I understand. Now you have explained it has come into my heart. I will choose to repent of my sins. I will leave my ways of sinning. So it means that we should think that there is no way around this. There is no way that we can continue in sin and still keep the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our Mashaikh have taught us that there are three things. And if a person does them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends his special nusra, his madad, his help. If a person wants to do three things in life, it's guaranteed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help him and will make him successful in his task. Number one, they write, is that that person who makes a sincere niyyah intention in his heart to make a masjid. To make the home of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then starts. Once he starts, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as long as he is sincere, even if he runs out of the means to do it, Allah himself will send the asbab, send the means, he will see to it that that project is completed, he will see to it that that masjid is built. Do we ever see any half-finished masjids lying around in the world? No. If the person is sincere that he wants to build the masjid, 
Allah Ta'ala will always help such a person and will see to it that that masjid is built. The second thing the Mashaikh write is that that person who has a daughter but he doesn't have the means to marry her off. But he knows that in order to preserve the iman of his daughter he must get her married. So he takes that step, he approves the proposal and he sets the date for his daughter's wedding. If he was sincere and he was doing it for the sake of Allah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his own ways, through his own means, through ways the person will never imagine, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send the means for that person to be able to marry off his daughter. And the third thing the Mashaikh write, is that person who makes a sincere intention in his heart to leave a sin. That from the depth of his heart, he sincerely intends to leave that sin, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send his special help on him, will give him a means, will give him a way to extract himself from that sin. So this means that this is a surefire thing. If we wish to make tawbah, if we wish to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to what our Mashaikh have taught us, Allah Ta'ala will definitely accept our intention. It means, why, why does Allah Ta'ala say these so many names about Himself? Al-Rahman, Al-Rahim, Al-Ghafoor, Al-Ghafar, Al-Tawab, Al-Halim, Al-Kareem. So many names pertaining to forgiving us. It means that Allah Ta'ala is just waiting for us to turn to Him in repentance and He is ready to forgive us for all of our sins. In fact, it is only the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that can forgive us. Allah even mentions this in the Quran. What does He say? Listen to this carefully. وَمَا أُبَرِّئُ نَفْسِي إِنَّ النَّفْسَ لَأَمَارَةٌ That verily my nafs لَأَمَارَةٌ is indeed commanding, is overpowering me. بِسُوِي إِلَّا مَنْ رَحِمَ رَبِّي Except for that person, in other words, that Allah SWT says in the Quran that the person should testify, recording a person saying that verily the, the soul oppresses me and overpowers me, my nafs overtakes me, leads me to sin, there is no hope except for that person whom Allah SWT has sent his rahmah. So if Allah sends his rahmah on us, it is only through his mercy that we can keep ourselves from sin. So it means we must turn to his mercy. We must beg him that, Ya Allah, please forgive us for our sins. Next thing is that Armashayk write that that person who makes Tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him three rewards. That person who asks Allah to forgive him for all of his sins, who sincerely repents to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah gives him three rewards. Number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a nur, a light on his face. Allah ta'ala puts a spiritual light, a radiance on his face. Because of his taqwa, because of his tahara, because of his piety, his purity, his worship, his dua, his zikr, his face becomes radiant, he puts a light on his face. And this is why it comes, uh, there's a saying, Alladina, about the people of piety, Alladina idha ra'u Allah. That they are such people that if you behold them, if you gaze upon them, you remember Allah. And the contrast, the people who persist in sin, you can see the darkness of their sin on their faces. I'm not talking about skin color. Talking about the darkness of sin on their faces. Just look at the faces of these pop stars and music stars of today. Our Sheikh used to say that their faces look like some shriveled orange. Their hair is wild, they have earrings here, they have earrings here, they have earrings here. Their faces look despicable. Who is the pious person whose heart would be attracted to a face like that? So the people who have sin, you can see it on their faces. And the people who repent, if you behold them, you you are reminded of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see the beauty, the light, the radiance of their taqwa, of their piety on their faces. So the first thing a person gets 
when he makes true tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that Allah puts a light on his face. The second thing is that just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a nur on his face, he puts surur in his heart. He puts happiness in his heart. He makes that person at peace. He makes that person content. Because if you leave all your sins, then you become amongst the friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about them, لَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهُمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزُنُونَ That there is no fear on them, there is no worry on them, their hearts are simply content. So look what great things we get even in this world, just for making tawbah, just for repenting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the third thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then becomes your helper. مَنْ كَانَ لِلَّهِ كَانَ اللَّهُ لَهُ that that person who submits himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who leaves all of his sins, who only worships and prays to Allah, then Allah says that I'm yours. That Allah becomes his. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helps him in each and everything that he does. That that person who relies and depends on his Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes his helper, becomes his assistant. The way our Mashaik explain it, is that there are two types of horses in the world. One are the race horses. The famous race horses, the thoroughbreds of the world. How much care do people take of them? People won't even let them walk in the streets. If they have to go from one place to the other, they don't walk themselves, they're put in trucks and transported from one place to the other. They are treated with so much care, their breeding is done with so much care, they cost so many thousands of dollars. In comparison, there is the pack horse, the horse that pulls the cart. He costs maybe a few hundred dollars. And that horse is made to do everything in the world. So the Mashaikh say that if you make tawbah, if you become one of the people of Allah, then just like the people of the dunya will never make a racehorse pull a donkey cart, just like that, Allah SWT will never entrap or ensnare one of His pious servants in the donkey cart of the dunya. He will never make you fall prey to the wiles of the dunya. If we become Allah Taala, Allah will become ours, Allah will protect us, Allah will safeguard us. I know you're getting tired, but I have 15 minutes left. And I have a few more things that I want to share with you. So try to stay awake, try to be attentive. Because the next thing I'm about to say is extremely important. If you want to think nothing else, you can think that I've traveled thousands of miles today, or I've traveled thousands of miles to be in this country, just to tell you these next few things. And the next thing is that our Mashaikh say that there are three signs that a person's heart is dead. They tell us about three signs that indicate that a person's heart is dead. Listen to these carefully and assess your heart and think that has my heart died? Has my heart become hard? So three signs that a person can check himself to see if his heart is dead. The first sign is that the hesitation to do sin is removed. When that person no longer feels any hesitation, any embarrassment in doing sin, that means his heart has become hard. For example, before if that person looked at a woman he shouldn't look at, he was embarrassed. He would take furtive, he would steal glances at her. He wouldn't want anybody to see him. But if he has no hesitation now, if he's walking along the street, and he doesn't feel bad at all about looking at her, he looks at her in the public in front of everybody. He even turns around and looks back at her when she walks by. He doesn't care if anybody sees him. He has no hesitation in committing sin. It means that this is a sign that our hearts have hardened. So when we no longer feel embarrassed about sin, when we no longer even hesitate to sin, we commit sin without hesitation, without a second thought, it's the first sign that our hearts have hardened.
The second sign that our hearts have hardened is if we lose the desire to worship Allah. If we no longer have that desire that I want to pray to Hajjah. We no longer have the desire that I want to be regular in Fajr. We no longer have the desire that I want to read Quran. Where are those young men of this ummah that they used to just wait for the free time to worship Allah? The greatest desire of their heart was that they could have some few moments free, they could pray some extra salah. They could find some few moments in the night, they could turn to Allah from the depths of their heart in dua. They could find a few moments in the day, they could turn to the book of Allah, the Quran, and just read it and take its pleasure. So the second sign that your heart is dead, that our hearts are dead, is that we do not have any desire for ibadah. We do not yearn to make dua, we do not yearn for salah, we do not yearn for the time. This is the second sign that our Mashiach is right. I think most of us are already gone by now, but I'll go ahead and say what the third sign is. These are the three signs that our hearts are become hardened, or that our hearts have become dead. The third sign, very interesting, is that if a person advises us, if a person counsels us, if a person gives us nasiha, we don't like it. We close our hearts to that person. If the father tries to keep the son on the straight path, the son starts hating the father and he'd rather spend all his time with his friends. If a fellow Muslim comes to you and gives you some nasiha, invites you to the deen, you don't want to hear it from him. Why are these people coming into the masjids and saying you have to do this, you have to do that? Why are they so strict? Why do they talk about sharia? Why do they talk about sunnah? We don't like it. We don't want people like that in our masjids. It shows that our hearts have hardened. Our salaf salihin, they used to love when people used to give them nasiha. They used to reward the person that gives them nasiha. Sayyidina Umar Radhanu, once a person reprimanded him and said, Oh Umar, remember death. He went and thanked that person. And in some riwayah, in some narrations it comes that he even kept a person with him all the time who would remind him of death. So if we are people like that, that we do not wish to be told things, we don't want to know about the things we're not doing. We don't want somebody to come and tell us about our sins. We want a feel-good talk. We want to hear about the great things about Islam. We want to hear about what great Muslims we are. We don't want anybody to give us nasiha. We don't want anybody to point us our faults. It's a sign, the third sign, that our hearts are dead. So my friends, now we should think that how many of these three signs do we have? And then we should reflect how hard have our hearts become. Ya Allah, our heart no longer desires to love you. Our heart no longer has the ability to fear you. Our heart no longer even wants to listen to your words, to listen about your deen, to learn about the sharia, to learn about the sunnah. So if somebody's heart is so hardened, then what hope is there left for him this in the world? But, finally, our Mashaikh write that there are three things in life that are guaranteed. If you listen, if you do three things in life, you are guaranteed to get three things. The first of them is however much you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will make creation love you. The more and more you have love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart, He will place the love for you in the hearts of people. In fact, even in dua, Prophet taught us, إِنَّهُمَّ إِنِّي أَسْأَلُكَ حُبَّكَ وَحُبَّ مَنْ That Allah increases in our love for you and make us love those people who love you. Even this hadith is proof of this That the more you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart The more Allah will put the love of people Will put your love for you in people's hearts If you feel that people don't like me People are upset with me My family can't get along with me It means, my friends, that it's because we didn't get along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
Because we did not love Allah in our heart, Allah Ta'ala removed the love for us from the people's hearts. So if we increase in our love for Him, it shouldn't be the niyyah, but if we increase in our love for Him, Allah Ta'ala will put the love for that person in the hearts of people, that person who loves Allah Ta'ala. The second thing, is that however much you fear Allah in your heart, people will respect you and honor you in this world. The more and more you fear Allah, it means you feel the awe, the majesty, the jalal of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the people respect you and honor you. In fact, Prophet Muhammad s.a.w. had this to an incredible extent. He said in hadith, نُصِرْتُ بِالْرُعْبِ That I was assisted with ru'ab, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put an awe or respect of people in my heart, an awe or respect for me in the hearts of people. So the more and more you fear Allah, the more people will treat you with respect. So if you feel I have no dignity in this world, that I am walking around just being disgraced, it means that you do not fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you do not have the awe of Allah in your hearts, so why do you wish for your son to look at you with awe? Why do you wish for your wife to look at you with respect? Why do you wish for your children to be afraid of your punishment when you yourself are not afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart? And the third thing is that the more and more ibadah that we make, the more worship that we make of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more He will make uh, creation make our khidmah or the more He will make creation help us and assist us in this world. There's a story of Harun al-Rashid who was a famous Muslim ruler. And at his time there was a famous imam, a famous faqih, a famous legal scholar, a judge by the name of Imam Abu Yusuf rahimahullah. Once Imam Abu Yusuf was walking and his two students were walking behind him and Imam Abu Yusuf took his shoes off. And the two students raced to pick up his shoes. And then they looked at one another and they both wanted to pick up his shoes. So what they did, because they were students of knowledge, students of a great imam, that they settled the dispute amongst themselves by taking a handkerchief and spreading it out. They put both shoes on that and one person held this hand of the handkerchief, the other person held the, the other student held the other side. But the point of the story is this, that Harun al-Rashid was watching all this and he was with his wife Queen Zubaydah. And he took a sigh and he said, Zubaydah, people may call me the king of the Islamic empire, but I'm just a king in name. Who is there in the world who fights to pick up my shoes? There is nobody around who fights to pick up my shoes. I can have thousands of attendants, thousands of subjects, but none of them have this love for me in their heart that they fight with one another to pick up my shoes. Look at this person, Abu Yusuf, that his students love him so much, they were, because of, he has worshipped Allah so much, that the creation has just fallen to serve them. The creation just wants to serve them. So the third thing is that the more and more ibadah, the more and more worship we do for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will make creation assist us. So it means, my friends, That Allah has commanded us in Qur'an to leave all the sins that you do openly and internally, externally and secretly, outwardly and in a hidden manner. Leave all the sins that we do. Is it not better for us that we think that Allah, you have given us so much in this world. You've even hidden our sins from everyone. If our sins were to be revealed before the people, they would not want to sit with us they would not even want to look in our faces. They would not even want to spit in our faces. That, oh Allah, you who are so kind, so merciful, who has still given us this gift of life. That every moment of life is but a gift, an opportunity to turn to Allah in sincere repentance. And the last thing is the story of a young man in the time of Shaykh Hassan Basra. Imam Hassan al-Basra was a famous scholar of the Tabin. Such a big scholar that Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu, a sahaba, 
told Hassan al-Basri to make a dars of Qur'an in the masjid. So he used to teach Qur'an in the masjid of Basra, and he was appointed by who to do that? Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu. What a great scholar, what an incredible person he must have been. So Hassan al-Basri, a lot of the people in his area used to come and listen to his dars. There was an arrangement for women behind partition to listen. So there was one woman who was a great and devout and loving student of his. She loved to go to his dars. But that woman, her husband passed away when she just had a young son. And then she thought to herself that if I marry again, I might get busy with other children. I'm worried that my, my husband is not here. I will not let myself get married. I will take care of my only one son. So she had so much love for her son. She was so worried about raising him up in a proper way. But when that son grew old, this was a wealthy woman. When that son grew old, that woman, she used to give that, her son all the money that he wanted. But that son did not have the tawfiq to be a righteous person. The son became a person of sin. He hung out with the people of sin. He had friends who took him and invited him to bad things. He had friends who took him and made him commit zina. That made him commit a terrible sin. So that woman, then she used to tell her son, that, oh son, why don't you go meet Hassan al-Basri? Why don't you meet him? He will talk to you about Allah. Maybe you will repent of your ways. So the son normally wouldn't go, but sometimes because the mother would pressure him so much, she would drag the son over to Hassan Basri. And Hassan Basri, would, Rahimahullah, would try to counsel the son, try to counsel the boy, but every time Hassan Basri would see that his words had no effect, and they would just see that that man, young man was committing sin again. Then what happened after several years, that young man, he became very weak. And surely if a person does that sin so many times in one day, he becomes very weak. So he became very weak, he became very sick. The healers of that time told him that you were in your final illness. So when he was in his, in his final illness, his mother tried again, that, oh my son, will you not repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? See how Allah has punished you for the sins that you have done. So she kept counseling him, the mothers never give up on their sons. So in the end, the son looked up at his mother and said, Yes. Oh, my mother, you were right. Truly, I have lived a terrible life. I sinned all my life. I took the pleasures of this world. Oh, my mother, now I realize how Allah must be upset with me, how He has sent the sickness on me. Oh, my mother, I wish to repent. You always used to tell me to go in the company of Hassan al-Basri and repent. Oh, my mother, I'm too sick now. I cannot even get out of my bed. I cannot even go to Hassan al-Basri. Oh my mother, why don't you go to him and ask him that if he can come here and he can teach me and show me how to repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So imagine this mother who for years she had been crying over her son. Now she cried tears of joy that finally my son is willing to repent. And then the son told her that, Oh my mother, if I die before you come back, then my final request, my final wasiyah is that ask Sheikh Hassan al-Basri to read my janazah. So the mother, she went off so happily to Imam Hassan al-Basri's door. She knocked on his door and he said, Who is it? And she said, I'm this woman. And he said, What do you want? And he said that my son has said that he finally wishes to repent and he wants you to come. And Hassan al-Basri said, Oh woman, your son has said that to you so many times. How many times will you let your son fool you? I have just to go give dars and Qur'an in the masjid shortly. I have to go give a lecture on the, in the, on the Qur'an shortly in the masjid. I am busy preparing my lesson. How can I leave the lesson that thousands of people attend and come just to go to your house to see your son who has deceived me and deceived you so many times? When will you understand, woman, that your son is a sinner? And the woman said that, Oh, Hassan al-Basri, will you at least uh, perform his janazah? 
will you lead his funeral prayer if he passes away? And he said, oh woman, in my eyes, the person who leaves Salah, he becomes kafir. Some legal jurists have that opinion. In my eyes, that person who leaves Salah deliberately, he becomes an unbeliever, and I cannot pray Janazah over an unbeliever. So, oh woman, now just leave me, I have to prepare for my dars. So now that same woman who came to his door so happy, crying tears of joy, that finally her shaykh Hassan al-Basri will come and accept the tawbah, accept the repentance of her son, she went back to her son empty-handed. So the son looked up when she came and she said that, Oh mom, Hassan al-Basri, he didn't come? And she looked down and said, No son, he didn't come. He said that you had fooled him so many times, he did not believe that you were sincere in your repentance. Then the son said that, Oh mom, has he at least agreed to perform my janazah? And the mother said that, No son, he's even refused to perform your janazah. Then the young man took a cold breath, and he sighed, and he said, Oh mother, truly I must be despicable in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now my mother, I know how angry Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with me. Oh my mother, then I have one more last wish, that when I die, do not bury me in the cemetery of the Muslims. I'm such a terrible person, I'm so despicable in the eyes of Allah, I do not want to be a source of torment and discomfort to the graves of the Muslims who are lying peacefully. And my mother, when I die, wrap a leash around my neck and drag my corpse along the ground so people can see that what is the fate of people who sin against Allah. And just saying that, the mother, her tears were falling away, the son was repenting of his sins like that, and while telling his mother how despicable he was, crying in his eyes, he passed away. Then the mother, she saw her son, that he passed away, she started to cry, but immediately a knock came on the door. And she went to the door and she said, Who is it? And the answer came in as Hassan al-Basri. And she said, Oh my Shaykh, how is it that you have come? And he said that, Oh woman, know that when you came to me with your request, and I turned you down, I went back into my room, I started preparing for my lesson of the Qur'an. And then I became drowsy and I fell asleep. When I fell asleep, a voice called out to me and said, Oh Hassan al-Basri, you claim to be my wali. You claim to be my friend and you refuse to perform the janazah over my wali? So, oh my mother, now I know that your son, his repentance was accepted. So, oh my, oh my, my student, I'm here not just to read his janazah. Oh woman, I have come, Hassan al-Basri, the wali of the time, the imam of the time, the person who taught Qur'an of the time. I have come and I will wash and I will bathe your son. I will enshroud your son with the kafan. I will lay your son into the grave with my own hands. And all women know that I will pray the janazah over this wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It means my friends that no matter how deep in sin you go, how low you go, if you repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the depths of your heart, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept our repentance. He will forgive us our sins. He will even include us among the ranks of his awliya. وَآخِرُ الدَّعْوَانَا أَنَنْحَمْدُلِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Before Azan, we will... Conclude with the du'a, inshallah.